Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you made it out with us today. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, we're honored that you are here. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor. And on behalf of my wife, Erica, and our staff, our volunteers, and we're just so honored that you're here. I always welcome our guests, and I always invite you to come at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why. Have you ever noticed when you go to a place, you don't always get the right thing the first time? Like you don't get a good impression of it the first time. So what I'm asking is, is come at least three times and check it out. And I've noticed that's helped our people and helped our church really get connected. And so you can get a full view of what the church is like. I also want to welcome everybody watching on Facebook Live and Digital Land. You're probably in your PJs or maybe you're at the beach. We're so glad that you're a part of it as well. And uh, just welcome everybody. So glad that you're here with us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter number one, Colossians chapter chapter number one. We're continuing our series called Greater Than. Everybody say greater than. And we really are talking about and we're talking through the book of Colossians, really, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament or kind of the back half of the uh, of the of what we call the Bible. And he wrote it from a prison cell in about 60 AD. And he wrote this letter to kind of correct some issues that were happening in the church. And one of the reasons that we wanted to teach it as a church is because I want you to know, number one, I love the Bible and I love scripture. I found that the more I not just read the Bible, the more the Bible that I do, the more I do the Bible, the better I am at life and the more I love Jesus. And so I love the Bible. Secondly, I want you to love the Bible. So I want you to have permission. You know, some of you come up from a denomination or religion where you weren't allowed to open up your Bible or have your own. You need a Bible. And I want you to go and actually either download one on your app or get a paper one and start reading in the New Testament, start reading the life of Jesus and start reading some of the letters Paul talked about because I believe, we believe it's going to change your life. And so we want you to do that. And then thirdly, the reason we're doing this series is because typically, you know, we pick a topic in a series. And so last time we talked about, last month we talked about being overwhelmed. Our series was called Overwhelmed. And you know what the topic was? How to deal with being overwhelmed. And so we sometimes pick a topic, but sometimes we want to preach just the Bible. And so we're just going to read Colossians and see what comes out. This literally is what I call an old-fashioned Bible study. How many of y'all did those before, right? Growing up, you just got, you, you, you all met in some weird person's house, and they pulled out that Bible they never opened up, and it's got a bunch of dust on it, and you open it up, and it's on the coffee table, and you just read some random book and random verse, and then you just tried to do a Bible. That's what we're going to do today, but hopefully it'll be a little more strategic and you'll get something from it. Amen? And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. I'll put it up on the screens here in verse 15. It says, the Son, or Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That's so important. The firstborn over all creation. He goes on to say, for in him all things were created. Pause real quick. You need to know, uh, some translations actually write this. So last week we talked about Paul actually said, hey, I'm praying for you. And we talked about really Paul saying, hey, I want you to pray some of these prayers in your life. If you pray like I pray, you're going to have a better connection to God. This picks up where we were left off, but it actually goes into a poem about Jesus. This is literally written in poem form. It's like, have you ever written a poem like, roses are red, violets are blue? You don't write it in a paragraph. You know what I mean? You don't write, roses are red, violets are blue. You know, people are weird, and so are you. Something like that. Like, you don't write it like that. You write it in kind of like a cool, you know, font, and you write it in a you know, blocked a certain way. And then at the bottom, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. Okay, that, that's what we're doing. And that's literally how some of the translations write this. So this is a poem. We're in a poem now. And he says, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's all about Jesus. And then he goes, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. I love that so good. He goes, in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. Everybody say head. He's in charge. 
Okay, he's running this thing. The church, I like that. I like that you're not my people and you ain't my church, that this is God's people. You are God's church, and I'm just charging stewardship. So, like, I got to make sure that I don't screw this thing up, right? Like, that's my job is to make sure you're loved, you're protected, and you get to where you're going because you are God's people. And I have a fear of God about that, right? Like, I should. I'm the pastor. I need to believe like that. And so he is the beginning and the firstborn. I like that word, firstborn. We're going to come back to that from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I like that, the supremacy. Like, he's supreme. I like that. And then for God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth and things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than. So it, if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is Jesus is greater than my view of him. Jesus is actually greater than your view of him. Jesus is greater than my view of him. Let's pray. Father, we just love you, God. How honored we are to be in your presence. And Holy Spirit, today I pray that you would speak in the only way that you can, God, that you would, you would show us what it's like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Lord, speak to us in only the way that you can today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Isn't it true, this is a question, isn't it true, how you see something determines what you get from it? You know, everybody, it's, it's pretty amazing to me how life can be fairly constant, or you could see something one way, and I can ask my wife, she sees something completely different. I mean, anybody married in here, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you can see a situation, and you're positive about it, and you look at your wife, or you look at your husband, and they look at it, and they're like, that's the most terrible thing in the world. And you're confused because what you see is different than what they see. But what you see often determines what you get from it. So I'm going to have an interactive, fun portion of this sermon today. Y'all ready? Y'all, like, we can talk in here. You guys can say amen. It's okay to say amen in this church. You know, you can wave a hanky. You can say preach white boy. Whatever you want, you can say you know, just within reason, you know, and just don't, just don't say that's, that's dumb. Okay, just save that. You know, tweet that later if you need it. So, but uh, here's a picture. Now, how many of y'all see the frog? Y'all see the frog? Anybody raise your hand if you see the frog. How many of y'all see the frog? Come on, this is interactive, all right? How many of y'all see the horse? Y'all see the horse? Y'all see, you all see the mane and then the, the, the note? Y'all see it now, huh? You're like, oh. Everybody say, oh. Yeah, see, it's the same picture, but some of us see things differently, right? I'll give you another one. This is fun. We're having fun now. How many of y'all see Wolverine? And then how many of y'all see two Batmans? Y'all see what I'm talking about, right? So, like, you can kind of see Wolverine, and then some of y'all see Batman you know, knows and, you know, he's Eskimo kissing the, himself. It's kind of weird, right? All right, next one. Here, here's another one. How many of y'all see the, uh, how many of y'all see the bunny? Y'all see the bunny? Raise your hand if you see the bunny. Raise your hand if you see the bunny. Raise your hand. All right. And then raise your hand if you see the duck. Y'all see the duck? All right, raise your hand. All right, the duck people. All right, y'all the duck people. That's awesome. Isn't that interesting? Maybe the most famous one of these pictures, again, how you see it determines what you get from it. Maybe the most famous one is, uh, is this one, and uh, this is either a vase. How many of y'all see the vase? Raise your hand if you see the vase. Y'all see the vase? See the vase? How many of y'all see two, two faces of people? Raise your hand. See two faces of people. I mean, let's be honest, right? The picture is constant. It's the same. It didn't change. But how you saw it, determines what you get from it, right? And so Paul, when he wrote this love letter about Jesus to the church, it was the first thing he was addressing. It's actually a rebuke. 
Because Epaphras, which was the church planter that came to Paul and begged him and said, listen, you're my apostle. You fixed this church. I mean, this is your idea, right? Under God's idea. I mean, like I went there because like you sent me there and they're crazy. I need you to fix them. And Paul goes, okay, well, let's get one thing straight first. You need to know who Jesus is. Now, that's confusing to you, would think, because you would think the church should know who Jesus was, but they were struggling with two broken views of Jesus. The first one was this. Their first view of Jesus was simply that they had a normalized or marginalized view of who he was. They normalized Jesus like every other God that they worshipped, every other Greek God that they worshipped. There was a sect of church that believed in Gnosticism, which is a mixture of like mysticism and Judaism and paganism and all the other isms you want to add on top of it. And they just said, here's what the the thesis of their statement was. Jesus was not the way. He was a way. He was a stepping stone to getting to this higher being and higher calling of God. That Jesus was just normal. Or they marginalized him like every other God they served. As a matter of fact, it was driven by this collective view of who Jesus was. Now, Jesus had something to say about who he was. In John, I talked about this in early part of the year. John chapter 14, Jesus says, here's who I am. He says, I am a way, right? That's what he said, a way. Yeah, I'm, I'm what you guys are. No, no. He said, I am the way. Everybody say the. You want to know what the means in the Greek there? The. Like there's no other way. I am the way. It's me. What you see is what you get. So I'm not another one of your puny little G-gods. I am the God. He says, I am the way. Stop putting me into a collective view of what you or your religion or your friends or your social media feed or your, your political party or your way of thinking or your background, how your mama taught you God was. I'm better than that. I'm different. And Paul was saying, you, you have a normalized version of Jesus, and you made him just like every other God. The second problem that they struggled with was a distorted view. This is a distorted view of Jesus. It was, like a, it was a view not based on public opinion or group think. It was based on personal, private opinion. And she would think like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I need to have a private, public, a private personal view of Jesus. You're actually inaccurate. Paul rebuked that. He said, your personal view is inaccurate. Because your personal view is laced and distorted with your past and your personality and your preference that what you think God should be, he's even better than that. Because your ways are not his ways. In fact, Isaiah says it. He says, my ways, God speaking, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You don't even on your best day get who I really am. And so Paul was concerned with both views. He was saying... If you don't get this right, everything else is ruined. And the main problem with these two broken views of Jesus is it inevitably leads you to being God and keeps Jesus from being it. Because you're in control. You're in control in the group. You're in control in your personal view. And Jesus is greater than that. It's bigger than that. So you have to ask yourself this question, don't you? Like, how do you see God? Like, seriously. 
Have you ever asked yourself that? Like, how do I actually see God? How do I relate to God? How does God see me? If you don't wrestle those questions to the ground, it'll distort the way you see him. It'll actually limit what you receive from him. Come on, right? And so if you see God, I'm just, I'll give you a few of them. If you see, some of you see God as drill sergeant God. Like he yells at you, screams at you, getting you to do something he wants you to do. And he keeps yelling and screaming through typically people like me, pastors who yell and scream, right? We made it worse for everybody. And so we showed you a reflection of God's character that's not actually accurate. And so you see God through maybe a, a drill sergeant view of God. Maybe you see God as a guilt God. Like you, you grew up and your parents said this statement. Okay, maybe nobody in here, but maybe me. You, you, you heard this statement like, you better do right or God's going to get you. And so parents abstain from actually training and discipling their own kids. And they use God as the ultimate scapegoat to scare them and guilt them into doing things right on behalf of God. And so now you relate to God that way. You think if you don't do something right, he's going to get you. Right? You still have that voice in your head? Anybody else but me? Maybe you see God as a distant God. You know what's funny? is that if you look back culturally and historically with some of these views in the Colossian church, is that you, you actually, their, their view and their gods were always based around the Greek gods that were around. So a lot of the pictures of who God was and what they looked like historically were it was a white dude with a big white beard and had like a sitting on a cloud and was holding a lightning bolt. He looked like the other great gods, like the Zeus God, like that's what God was pictured like. And some of you see him as a big white dude with a beard sitting on a cloud with a lightning bolt ready to get you. That's how you see Jesus. And if you see him like that, come on. Might be the way you get him. Maybe you see God, he's like a hippie God, like Jesus hippie, right? You remember see those pictures where you walk around and he's, he's got Birkenstocks on. He's got a big dress he wears. And, like, you know, he, he's, he looks like he's got dreadlocks. And he's got a smile on his face, like peace, love, and chicken grease. You know, he's walking around with the peace sign, you know. And he's like, everybody, it's all love. It's all good. It's love. And that's how you see God because that's what you're, that's what your grandma told you, or that's what social media told you, or that's what you read in some book somewhere, and someone's opinion of God is now rubbed off on you, and now that's who and how you see God. Some of you in here, are, you, you see God as on-demand God. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, you know, man, I just, I want them to be better at their life and their marriage, and if they would just be better, if they would just pray, and they would just, you know, really have a good relationship with God. Now, I believe the more, but closer you are to God, you're going to have a better relationship, but sometimes we use God as a scapegoat to actually doing the things of God to help our relationship. I'll give you an example. So instead of me being a good husband to my wife, loving her as Christ loved the church, I treat her like garbage, and then I say, God, can you just help her? God, you fix it. I'm going to pray. Now, none of you do that. Other churches do that. But instead of him being God, he's now on-demand God. So when you do something wrong, you press a button, God, fix it. Fix it. You're a lifeguard. You're a vending machine. I put my faith in. I pressed A1. You're supposed to give me the... This is it. And I've just noticed God over a lifetime. He seems to be a little ornery. He doesn't follow your opinions, your ways, your formulas. Your Anybody notice how God's timing is not your timing? Raise your hand. Well, it's because he's not on-demand God. He's bigger than that. 
So, so you got to ask yourself, how do you see God? As I wrap up today, I want to give you three Pauline views of Jesus that he wrote in this poem. Three, three ways that Paul talked about Jesus, spoke about Jesus, that I think he was trying to correct so that the Colossian church can receive from Jesus and we can receive from Jesus. Come on. Y'all, y'all ready? All right. Everybody say, I'm ready. Everybody say, I got you. All right. Number one is this. The first one is Jesus is God in a body. Jesus is God in a body. Paul clearest statement as he started was that the greatest picture of God is Jesus. I'll give you an example. Colossians chapter 1 says this. It says the the Son is the image of the invisible God. He was saying, listen, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when I think about who God is, it could be confusing. It could be scary. It's a little intimidating to think about who God is. And I think God knew in all of human history that he needed to send an actual depiction of who he was and all of his character and all of his attributes to this world so we can see who God really was. Because I don't know if you ever looked at the Old Testament, but it's kind of murky. It's kind of odd at times. It's a little bit confusing. Just a side note, if you're learning about who God is, I wouldn't flip like your Bible like this and go, and just read some random thing out of Leviticus. Right? Because it's confusing. There's a level of it where you're like, this is like, this is hard. Like, it's funny, some of the disciples would say to Jesus, like, this is hard teaching, God. Yeah. You want to have some, like, hard teaching and some confusing parts? Go deep dive Isaiah. But I think God, in his wisdom, knew we needed to see who he was through his son, Jesus. And so God gives us these moments through the Bible to give us a picture and a, like a clear little, like a glimpse into God's character and who he is through his son, Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus even has this moment with one of his disciples. Philip, this is funny because like this is how me and you relate to God so much. Okay, maybe not you, but me. This is like, I, I see it like I'm Philip. Okay, so watch. So Philip's talking to God, to Jesus, right? He's having a conversation with Jesus. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and then that will be enough. Now, I pray this prayer all the time. Like, God, okay, look, I I love you. I'm for you-ish. But show me a sign. Like, just, I want to believe, but could you just, like, show us God? Right? Like, we're, like, having a debate with God. Like, you know, a little bit like, okay, look, I'll give a little, you give a little, and then we just, like, meet in the middle. God's not like that. And so I love how Jesus responds. This is just how I, I, I just think this is funny. So Jesus responds, don't you know me, Philip? It's kind of like, like if I'm talking to you and I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? Like you give him the, you know, the like backhand to the shoulder, you know, like what's wrong with you? I like how he says it. He says, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, like I've been with you all this time and you don't seem to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. It's like he's talking to his kid, right? You know, it's like, you ever talk to your kid like that? You're like, you tell them to go and, and, and put the dishes away, and they walk outside. And you're like, I, I thought we had this conversation. How long am I going to have to tell you over and over and over again to do something, and you don't do it? So he's talking to Philip, and then he says this. He goes, let me clarify for you, Philip. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. You want to see him? Look at me. That's what he says. 
So God sends Jesus to give us a picture of who he is. So let's look at the Bible and see who, who he is. You see in parts of scripture where Jesus was a healer. And some of us in here have doubted the idea that God is a healer because he has not healed you. But remember, there's times where God, I believe this with all of my heart, that I don't think God sends the sickness, but sometimes he uses that sickness in that moment to not just heal your physical body. Sometimes he's trying to heal your spiritual body. He's trying to heal your, heal your, your, your emotional mind. He's trying to do something inside of you that can't happen happen in an instant. It actually has to happen over a little bit of a time so that it, when it gets into you, it takes. Come on. And so sometimes we forget that God's a healer, but you need to know this. Jesus walked around and healed people. Why did he do that? Because I think he wanted to show that God's a healer. He was a healer then. He's a healer now. He'll be a healer all for all mankind. And you and I have to believe and see God as a healer so that you could be healed. Because if you don't think God's a healer, you'll never go to him for your healing. And let me just tell you, I've talked to many, many capital M, many people who have been on their deathbed and the only difference between them dying and living wasn't a doctor. Now, I believe in doctors. We believe in nurses. We believe in professionals and medical care. But let me just tell you, there might come a time where you just are at the end of your rope and the only thing that's going to save you is your ability and belief in that God can heal you right now. So you got to believe. God's given us a glimpse. He's a healer. And it might not be on your time, but it doesn't mean he's not a healer. Second, the other thing you can see is he's kind and inclusive. Like, I, I, I'll never understand. Like, it's confusing to me how you can say you're a Christian and yet post hatred online. Like, I'm serious. And you're like, well, I'm doing it in the name of God. That makes it better. Actually, that makes it worse. See human history. And, and there's... There's a kindness and an inclusivity that Jesus walked around with. I'll give you an example. Tax collectors. It's funny to me in the Bible how they would say sinners and then tax collectors. <laughs> you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Tax is terrible. All my libertarians out there, right? Like, you're just like, this is just. And, and, and like, they would separate them because here's why. Culturally and historically, they were the worst of their kind. They were betrayers of their own people. So it was like if you were if you were a Roman person, like if you were if you were a Jewish person living in Rome, you were taxed differently because of your race, simply because you were Jewish. And then what they would do is they would recruit Jewish people to tax and abuse other Jewish people. It's like the Russians coming in, paying me off to tax and abuse other Americans on behalf of Russia. You would not like that. I would be the most hated person. They were the most hated people. And you yet again, you see, you see Jesus continually hanging out with them. Not saying, I love you. I love you. You're accepted. I love you. You're good. He went and hung out with them, which in that society meant he was all up in their business. So you got to ask yourself the question, who are you reflecting when you are acting the way you're acting? Are you reflecting Jesus? Is he God in a body? I mean, he's walking around and he, he picks up and lifts up a woman who's a prostitute. Come on, like, these aren't stories that are in the Bible by accident. They're on purpose. And he showed love. Matthew was a tax collector. Y'all, come on. 
And he, he, he's trying to show you and I. By the way, side note, if you like to get angry, the two people types that Jesus was most angry with were religious and greedy people. It was never the sinners. Heads up. Heads up. Heads up. Can we be more like Jesus as a church? I'm serious. Well, I, you, know, you know, I got to tell them. If I don't tell them, then they won't know. Oh, okay. Because knowledge of sin stops sin. It says no one. And I'll prove to you that's why that's false. You want to know why? Because you know what's a sin. And are you a sinner? Do you stop? No. You know what stops sin? Relationship with Jesus. Period. Relationship with Jesus. Not your social media posts. I'll get off of that because you guys don't like that one. Number two. All right. Jesus is the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. Now, again, cults start when you read the Bible like an American, and then you don't understand the Jewish, the Jewish Hebrew context, right? So they weren't right. The Bible wasn't written to your and Irish culture. The Bible was written to a Jewish culture, a Hebrew culture. And he was writing to them, and when he used the word firstborn, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the Hebrew culture had an idea for the firstborn. There was a firstborn uh, way. There was a firstborn meaning. There were a few meanings, but I'll give you a few of them. Uh, the first one was this. The firstborn was always responsible. Think about this. Listen to this. The firstborn was responsible and set the tone for the family when the dad was absent. Now, the father is absent. He's in heaven, right? That's what. But the firstborn sets the tone. Come on. Follow with me. Track with me. Y'all going to go deep today. Y'all going to be Bible scholars, okay? The firstborn always sets the tone and is responsible for the family if the father's not there. Number two, the firstborn does. The second thing he does is he always sacrificed on behalf of the younger family or the brothers and sisters, those that followed behind him. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Does this sound familiar? All right, and number three, this was the other thing. The firstborn always, it was believed in, Hew, in Jewish and Hebrew culture that the firstborn received, always received judgment. The secondborn received mercy. Go back and look at every Every son or son and daughter, sons, go back and look at every family lineage in the Old Testament. The firstborn always received judgment. The secondborn always received mercy. Seen Cain and Abel. See how people, the birthright and the birth order mattered in the culture. The firstborn received judgment. Secondborn received mercy. Now, Jesus comes along. And Paul says, you got to remember, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus is the firstborn. And he, he, he's so I think, emphatic about it. He says it twice in that poem. He says he's a firstborn. That don't, don't marginalize Jesus. He's not like another God. He sacrificed himself so that you and I could have mercy. He takes judgment. We get mercy. Now, let me define what mercy really means. Mercy is not grace. Mercy is simply this. We don't get what we deserve. So we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve uh, eternal punishment. We, we deserve those. But Jesus comes in and says, I'm the firstborn. It's my responsibility. I got to stand in for judgment. I'm going to step in in this moment. And now I'm judged so that you can, I, you can receive mercy, which you don't deserve. But you get it anyway. Welcome to the family. And Paul reminds us, remember, remember. Jesus is the key. Remember, it's his blood. It's what he did on the cross. And then it's what he did in, he walked out that tomb. Come on, like, remember, he's the key. 
that you and I have mercy because he took the judgment. And the third one was this. He said, so Jesus is God in a body, and then Jesus is the firstborn. And he says, then Jesus is preeminent. Everybody say preeminent. Eminent means simply just like, he's su- like it's super important. And preeminent means just like the most important of the important. So Paul was literally saying, Jesus is the most important of the important. And in verse 18, he says it like this. He says, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So like he has to be number one. So this is a little different than like, um, the series title, Greater Than, Jesus is Greater Than Your Problems or Your Issues and Things You're Dealing With. It's different than that. It's that you, he was admonishing and rebuking the church, saying you need to keep Jesus the most important of your most important. And the way you do that, let me just tell you, the way you do that is you value what Jesus values. I'll say it again because you missed it. The way you keep him supreme is you value what Jesus values. Because you can't say you value that person and not value the thing he values. You want to know why? Because if you walked up to me and you're like, Aaron, you're amazing. You're anointed. God's got you going. And I'd be like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're right. You know, and he'd be like, you're awesome. And God's going to move through you. And I'm just so happy to be here. But your wife is crazy and I hate her. I'd be like, what? It doesn't make any sense. You don't love me if you don't love what I love. Come, come on. And so I think there's a whole lot of people in the world, nobody in here, you know, other places, uh, that like say they love Jesus. Jesus, you're number one. God, you're supreme in my life. God, I lift you up. And then you go out and you're like the meanest person in the world to the people he loves. I never get it. How could you say you're a Christian? Can I just ask on behalf of like, Christians, if you're mean and like you just got like, like sour face everywhere and you got like a pickle consistently stuck in your mouth, just <laughs> sinners, please don't tell your people you're a Christian. Because you don't reflect the God that we reflect. And so like, I'll give you some things Jesus values just so we can be clear. One of the things Jesus values is the church. He started it. Jesus values the church. He started it. Tell this section. Jesus values the church. He started it. Nothing? Okay. Jesus values the church. He started it. Okay. So Jesus values the church. He started it. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll give you guys one more. Jesus valued the church. He started it. Okay, yeah, so, so, so you can't say, I love Jesus and not love his church. I did not say love Rice Church. This is not a personal thing of going, y'all need to come back. We're going to grow our church. I've never asked God to grow our church. I've said, I've heard God literally tell me, if you just love people and preach about me, I'll grow your church. And he's been true to his word. I'm saying you need to love the local church. You need to have a value system for the local church. There needs to be a priority for the local church in your life. Well, you know, I, I go as long as I don't have anything going on and, like, we can't go, like, rafting on the river. And as long as, like, I woke up and I had enough sleep last night and as long as I, you, it doesn't work like that, y'all. And you can't complain to God about something that you did. You, it's, you, farmers don't complain to God when they plant seeds with strawberries and they, they get strawberries. They, they, they can't say, oh, I didn't get oranges. 
God's confused sometimes, I think, right? Like you, okay, so you didn't go to church, and then you never took your kids to church, and then you like didn't show them that it was a value, and, and now they're 22, and they just became atheists, and you're mad at me? That happens. I meet with those people all the time. We don't know why they don't like church. When's the last time you've been? I don't know. Jesus values the church. He created it. He started it. Life. That's another thing Jesus values. Jesus values life. Human life. People. So when you walk outside and you treat human life like trash, you're not reflecting Jesus' values. Come on. Come on. I'll give you another thing he values. Marriage. God values marriage. He, he established it. It's one of the first things he did when he started the world. He saw man. He was confused by man. And he was like, he, he needs woman. Period. Because that's going to make it better. Because us left alone is all kinds of problems. And those of you who are married, you know. Ladies, can I get an amen? All right, so like, right. But he established marriage. Don't devalue marriage. He values it. He established it. Holiness. Now, I grew up in a church that was hyper-charismatic and hyper-holy. Like some of y'all who close to me, they know, like I grew up in a, a certain denomination, and it was like, Holiness wasn't something you did to be close to God. Holiness was something you proved to everybody else so that you knew that you were better than them. Anybody else grow up like that? It was like a competition to see who was more Christian than others. And we always beat the worldly people. That was easy. Because <laughs> they were watching movies and we didn't. They were swimming in bathing suits and the girls were swimming in jean skirts that went to their ankles and they were sinking like torpedoes, you know. So. Like, is that real? Like, no, that's real. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, real holiness. Like, did Jesus valued holiness, this, this ability to be close to God, to be righteous under God, to, be, to know when you have, to actually have a conviction. When's the last time you had a conviction? Not a condemnation. God's not a God of condemnation. He's not trying to break you down. But you do need to have something in your spirit that goes, if you did something kind of crazy... Maybe you pushed it too little, too hard. The line, you, put, you, you walked up against the line a little bit, right? Because you and I are like cows. We like to find the fence. That's not offensive. I'm a, you know what I'm saying? It's just like you try to go up to the line, and then you kind of like look around like, is this okay? God, is this okay? How about this? Is that okay? And instead of trying to stay away from the line, holiness, trying to be set apart, have margin, Space, we like to like live on the edge. Your whole life is Bon Jovi's, you know, living on the edge. And I think Jesus modeled a level of holiness that he values. He values when you have a level of holiness in your life where you don't look like the rest of the world. Not to be pretentious or be better than us, but to go like, man, I got something you don't got. You, you're welcome, welcome, welcome. You can get it too. You can get it too. You can get it too. Come on, you can get it too. That's different than the arrogance of a pious church who says, we got it all figured out and you don't. Can we be that church? 
Jesus is God in a body. Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is preeminent. I'm going to close with this thought. There's a, um, there's a theological statement that says you become the God you worship. Because if you worship something, you tend to become what that's like. Isn't that true? It's like if you, wor- if you worship and you celebrate and elevate something that you like so much, you tend to be like that thing. So if you like love fishing and you worship fishing, some people worship fishing. You like praying to the gods of the bass every weekend. You know, it's like you become like, you start to look like a fisherman. You start to be like a fisherman. Come on, you know what I'm saying? And there's truth to that. Like though you worship the God that you, you become the God you worship. And there's this level of like, you have to really have an accurate view of the God you worship. Because if you see Jesus wrong, you'll be, become an inaccurate view of Jesus. And that's my concern as a pastor. The reason that I'm talking through this stuff is because I want you to see Jesus the way I see him and the way Paul sees him and the way the Bible sees him. And maybe we'll give a better, more accurate description of who he is so that we can be better like him, so that the world can be changed, so that we can not reflect our hearts and our personal values and our personal beliefs and our preferences. We can reflect God's. And I, I want to be that church. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, I'll put this up. I thought it was interesting. He said, the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at any given time might say or do. So that's not what makes him arrogant or pretentious. He says, but, but what he is, what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. That maybe we're not arrogant. I think what he was saying is he's warning us, don't be so arrogant to think you have God figured out. That it's a lifelong journey to figure out who God is. And that our goal is to be more like the biblical version of Jesus than our version of Jesus, our preference of Jesus, our personal personality version of Jesus, our past version of Jesus, our dad's version of Jesus, our grandmama's grandmama's version of Jesus, our pastor's version. I don't want you to have the version of Jesus that I have. I want you to have the version of Jesus that the Bible has. I, I want to search his, his word and I want to get in it because I want to know who Jesus was because I want that in my life. And that's my prayer for you today.